evening, and welcome to the November 2019 edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, like it or not, ready or not, the holidays are here. And Christmas in Sonoma County wouldn't be the same without the annual visit by the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. We start tonight by getting caught up with Chorus Director Dr. Timothy Seelig. We spoke last just before the chorus left for the Lavender Pen Tour of America's Deep South. Well, the trip was a total success and more, and you'll hear all about it from Tim tonight. And in the second half of our hour, we get caught up with Davey Wavy as he celebrates the second anniversary of Himeros TV. You likely know Davey from his long-running YouTube channel, but his latest project is way more than entertainment. Davey and his team of sex experts are changing lives by helping men experience a deeper sense of intimacy and connection. So stay with us. We've got a packed hour, and it's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, November 24th, 2019. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of November 17th, 2019. Citing religious beliefs, a printing company in Alabama refused to print an issue of a college magazine because it contains content about LGBTQ people and drag queens. Due South Magazine is a student publication at the University of South Alabama, and they approached Interstate Printing Company to print their first special topics issue. Interstate Printing emailed back Editor-in-Chief Sarah Boone and said that they would be exercising their right to decline printing the issue because it does not adhere to their Christian values, but they hope to print future editions of the magazine. Sarah said that Interstate has been printing Due South since 2012 and that she placed an order for 3,500 copies and was quoted a price of $5,000. But when the company saw the content of the magazine, they went cold. Boone said that the issue had stories about diverse people at the University of Alabama, including articles about religious head coverings, body positivity, and LGBTQ people. She said she suspects the LGBTQ stories were the ones the company had a problem with. Interstate Printing's website has a Bible verse on it that says, quote, We are a Christian company that will serve the Lord God Almighty in any way that we can, end quote. The university has refused to condemn the business's discrimination, saying in a statement that they, quote, respect the rights of individuals and private businesses to make decisions that are consistent with their values, end quote. But the university will print the magazine instead, and it was due out last week. And in Texas, an anti-LGBTQ Attorney General Ken Paxton and the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, are suing the federal government in hopes of allowing faith-based adoption and foster care agencies to discriminate but still receive federal funding. They filed the suit on October 31st in U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Texas. The complaint was posted online by the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, a far-right legal nonprofit that's representing the archdiocese. The suit says that the State Department of Family and Protective Services, which receives federal funding through the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, complies with the rule prohibiting grant recipients from discriminating based on sexual orientation and gender identity. But it partners with private organizations, including faith-based ones, whose beliefs prevent them from placing children with LGBTQ parents. The Archdiocese would like to provide child placement services under a state contract, but does not want to comply with this rule. The state of Texas already allows faith-based agencies to discriminate despite the fact they receive state funds. Attorney General Paxton has a long history of opposing LGBT rights, as do other Texas officials such as Governor Greg Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. 
And finally, don't forget the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus is coming back to Sonoma County for their annual holiday show at the Green Center. It happens on Sunday, December 15th, and you can get tickets and learn more at sfgmc.org. This is a benefit for face-to-face here in Santa Rosa. Browbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. Gay Chorus Deep South is a film documenting the experience of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus as they toured the southern states with some of the most anti-LGBT attitudes in the country. It's an amazing film about a life-changing experience, and here to tell us more about this amazing trip, the documentary, and the upcoming concert is Chorus Director Dr. Timothy Salig. Tim, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Well, great to talk with you and to hear all about this upcoming concert that's going to be happening uh, here in Sonoma County. But when last we talked, you were just about to embark on the Lavender Pen Tour. Correct. So let's check in with that. I got a chance to see the amazing documentary about it, uh, Gay Corps Deep South. So tell us about the trip. Oh, boy. Um, the Well, the trip was amazing. You know, we we decided about, I guess, two days after the election in 2016 that, that we needed to do something. And so we decided to take a tour of the South and we took just under 300 singers to um, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Uh, it was eight days. We did 25 appearances and it was amazing. We had an incredible time. The, the crowds were huge crowds and uh, adoring and accepting. It was just wonderful. We had um, our share of, of protests and ugly that happened, but really not nearly the backlash that we thought. And um, the guys had an amazing time. The Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir went with us, and it was uh, it, it was the trip of a lifetime in so many ways. The highlights, um, there were just too many to name, but I'll name a couple. Since yeah, I do it. Since I can't name them, I, I'll name them. Um, well, one of the one of the most touching moments for all of us was we we had uh, the Brown AME Chapel in Selma for an hour, and it only seats three hundred people, so we were the only people in there, and it turned into this uh, incredible experience. We had four people uh, from the from uh, Selma or the church who had actually marched with Martin Luther King on Bloody Sunday. Oh, wow. And and they all spoke and talked about birthing a revolution in the basement. And why they were at Brown Chapel was because it was surrounded by tenements, which we had police escorts, and there had been some uh, threats against the tour and the fact that we were there. And it was incredible. And then we went straight from there to the Edmund Pettus Bridge and marched across the bridge. Those, for the chorus were uh, once-in-a-lifetime experiences. And each each person was touched in a different way because each of us has our own experience. Uh, I was alive. Uh, I was you know, a teenager uh, in 1965 and through, through that whole time. So that was, that was one of the highlights. And then the film ends when we were invited to give the concert at a mega Baptist church in Greenville, South Carolina. And um, just never thought that was going to happen. And it did. And it was 
um, cathartic and wonderful and even redemptive in some in some ways mm. to two audiences that that should or a performing group and an audience that really should never have been together in the deep south and it was uh, quite moving I, I would say you know those were the two other than you know we we uh, had one day where all the guys dressed in drag on the bus but they, <laughs> but they had to dress in drag with only a carry-on that they could carry on the bus that would go in the overhead so it was not pretty but oh my gosh so much fun and and the film covers that as well well it, it must have been just a logistical challenge and i'm thinking about you said there were 300 chorus members that went Correct. yep I mean, I can't even imagine what that must have been like to try to coordinate that. And you had to have security as well. We had a lot of security. The We we were planning on a lot of security. And then about two weeks before we left was Charlottesville. And, you know, our board and people who didn't know the South well uh, were, were frightened. So we had a lot of security. Yeah, we sure did. The um, feeding of the 5,000 uh, was insane. Uh, you know, stopping for lunch with 300 people. So it was, <laughs> it was incredibly well managed by a tour company. Thank goodness we did not do that part. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't even imagine. Uh, and this documentary, Gay Chorus Deep South, was that always part of the plan for the tour to yeah. have this elaborate documentary taking place at the same time? It was never part of the tour. No, I mean we we're not smart enough to have even thought of that. Um, and in in short, the the word got out into the media um, that we were going to take this tour within a week of announcing we were going to take this tour, and within maybe a month we had three different entities um, vying for the opportunity to do the documentary. We had no idea. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know from documentary. So um, we did our best. Each of them presented a prospectus of how they would shoot it and and what their vision was and their heart mostly. And we came up with the one sponsored by Airbnb that um, we just felt we, we just had a gut feeling that this was the right way to go. And the rest is history. Obviously, they did a really good job. <laughs> Yeah, no, they yeah. did. A, they did an amazing job. It really does tell the story and so much more. I, I mean, I was really touched when I saw it by the examples in the documentary of just how this tour impacted individuals. I mean, there's so many sub stories um, beyond the mission that you had originally, which was to go out and really try to impact uh, the South by introducing the South to gay people um, and that experience. It must have been just amazing. And your story in particular really struck a chord with me. I, I had no idea about your past. Talk about that a little bit. Well, um, oh boy. Um, so I grew up Southern Baptist. Dad was a Southern Baptist minister. And my mom was a, a singer and voice teacher and sang with Billy Graham all over the world. And so I grew up in the, in the absolute middle of Southern Baptist land, indoctrinated, brainwashed. Um, and so I did what every young Southern Baptist boy does, and that is you go off to college and you pick a girl and you marry her and, and then you have a couple of babies. And I was, um, 
you know, I had multiple jobs. I was an opera singer, but I was also a, a minister and a college teacher. So at 35, I just, I couldn't do it. And my kids were seven and nine and I was in a church of 22,000 members mm. and I just came out. I just said, I can't do this. Um, I can't live this lie, which of course, many, 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 many ministers make it their whole lives without coming out. But it just wasn't who I was. I'm a truth teller. And um, I, I realized that I was doing amazing work, but I was not authentic. I was not being my true self. So I came out and, and suffered all of those consequences. And um, a year after that, uh, found out there was such a thing as a gay chorus. I'm like, what? <laughs> I thought that was the Baptist church choir. And um, <laughs> so uh, this uh, what was then a small choir in Dallas, um, the gay men's chorus there hired me. And as I say, we were both, we were both dysfunctional, heart, uh, broken, bankrupt. We were perfect. I mean, the perfect couple. And um, so I thought I would stay there a year to pay child support for a little bit. Well, for that year. And I ended up staying 20. So, um, yeah, that's what happened to me. I went from the, the Baptist music ministry to the gays. It was the best thing that ever happened. It ever happened to you. But it's a very painful story as well. Um, it is. It is. That I, because it was such a prominent church, the First Baptist Church of Houston, Texas, um, and I was very high profile in the church, of course. I mean, I sang all the time and conducted a 200-voice choir in the church. And um, so they were, this is what they say, they were tremendously hurt by me coming out. And um, so the pastor, um, Dr. John Bassanio, and the leadership decided it wasn't just enough to let me, just let me go, just let me go do my thing. Um, they felt uh, it was incumbent on them to make sure that um, as much as they could, they financed my ex-wife's um, legal fees. And yeah, it was great. I, one of the one of the most interesting parts is we had, because we had no money, we agreed on a um, irreconcilable differences divorce. We filled the papers out because we had no money. Right. And uh, about a month later, I was teaching at Houston Baptist University when a constable showed up and um, she had refiled with the resources that the pastor and the leadership had given her um, and filed for divorce on the grounds of sodomy and named names. Oh, my and, gosh. Yes. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so it wasn't enough just to let us uh, go. And, and it continued uh, for about a year that the church helped her, you know, get back at for all the hurt I had caused. So, yeah, it was, it was I lost everything, uh, including my two kids for a while. So, yeah. I mean, it must have just taken a lot of personal courage to not only lead the chorus there, but, but to return there yourself. Uh, and to re revisit that period of your life, looking back on it now, was there some healing that also took place? There was. I, I'll, I'll tell you, people, when I came back and have seen the film, they're like, did you get saved again? And I'm like, no, I did not get saved. But, you know, it's like when you're estranged from your family, which many of us are. And all of a sudden, after a few years or many years, they, you know, mom invites you, come on, please come to Thanksgiving. And you go home to Thanksgiving and, you know, they're all Trump supporters and they're sitting around talking conservative stuff. And but you go in and you smell 
the dressing that mom made that you remember from your childhood and you sit down and you, the, you know, the pumpkin pie is like none you've ever had. And all of those trappings bring you back to a place of nostalgia and then you leave and you still are not a Trump supporter. So that's the best best way I can (laughs) describe it is, I mean, I went back to the church. Um, I never thought that would happen. I, I never, I had no desire whatsoever, but I, I knew that it was significant for this, the tour and the guys. And so all of it was, um, it was pretty amazing. Um, most of it felt really comfortable and at home and, um, like I remembered and that church doesn't have any of the the ugly, the ugly side. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's one and one of a kind. I think the other moments in the film that, I had to smile about, frankly, were some of the conversations you had with the local ministers, because you were seeking out places to perform. Correct. At least it it sounded that way. And there was this Southern charm in some of these guys that you were talking to, yet it was very clear they wanted nothing to do with the chorus. They wanted nothing to do with us. Uh, We went to, I mean, we didn't go to uh, heavily right-wing fundamentalist churches, we went to mainline denominations. One of them was Methodist. One of them was Presbyterian. And uh, who both of these churches, big churches, uh, pretended to be open. You know, they have signs on the front, open to all. And so we thought, well, we have a good chance because we're all. And um, the interesting thing is that, you know, we, we actually got interviews with these people. Yeah. But they were Well, let's just say that um, they're – they were actually proud of their stance because mm-hmm. they considered the biblical stance. So, um, oh boy, yeah, the the one church that said yes and then their senior pastor said no, that's a shocker. That's uh, That was quite something. And um, then the other guy, oh boy, oh, that's the like my favorite scene in the whole <laughs> is when he goes, well, you know, we tolerate you. And I'm like, I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be celebrated. And his comment, looking at me, said, well, I just haven't had the nudge to do that. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I know. If you, didn't, yeah. if you didn't listen carefully to the words that were coming out of his mouth and you just looked at his facial expressions and his, again, his southern smile, you would think, oh, this is going to go really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> right? Not so much. It was anything um, but that. People uh, have asked, you know, how did you maintain your composure in those settings. And uh, I've learned, I learned a long time ago being from the South that you get a lot, you get a lot more out out of honey than you get out of vinegar. And uh, there's no reason for me to go in guns blazing with these people. That's what they're expecting. And, um, you know, the fact that I could talk to them as a former minister and I knew all their language and all their scripture um, fooled them. It was good. It was great. (laughs) Love it. Well, let's go back to the the um, mega church in South Carolina because that one you really did strike a chord with, and it seems like there is an ongoing relationship there that shows some there. promise for the future. I went back; they invited me back, oh, six or nine months later, to come do a workshop for their choir, and so I did. And I was there over a weekend, so I went on Sunday morning. And um, you know, I don't know if your listeners know that you know the Baptists always have a, a little swimming pool, a baptismal font, ready at, at any time you know, to dunk people, um, lest they go to hell between 
having accepted Jesus and they could die. So it was, that's some of the part that I'm like not so comfortable going back in. But it started out the morning worship service and the pastor walked out into the baptismal font, you know, and the water comes up, I guess, waist deep. And then this very tall African-American man walks into the baptismal font to be baptized. And first off, I'm like, okay, this is no Baptist church like I ever went to. I, I, would, I would have never seen that growing up, really. I mean, an occasional African-American person. But this was um, a beautiful, tall black man. And then this man walks to the pulpit, um, a white guy, walks to the pulpit and says, I'm so moved this morning that Reverend Dant is baptizing my husband. Wow. And I was like, I mean, I burst into tears. I'm like, okay, something's wrong here. <laughs> yeah. Oh my and the next thing that was that they were dedicating the Sunday because it was the first Sunday of, of school year. And all the little first graders came down to the front and all those like 10 little first graders had just watched an African-American get baptized and a man say, he's my husband. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm a little speechless. Me too. Um, they're doing the real deal. I mean, if you want to think that there is such a thing as a uh, a Christ life, Christ like mm. life, they're doing it. Mm. There, it's yeah. Wow. Well, that does give me a lot of hope. Right. I know. Me too. All of us. Yeah. 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 Well, it it sounds like just a, a a tremendous experience. And to all the listeners out there, if you have not seen the documentary "Gay Corps Deep South," look for an opportunity to watch it because it's quite extraordinary. Um, and, and very intimate and personal as well. Let's shift, let's yeah, shift gears a bit. No, let's, sure. let's shift gears a bit and talk about season 42 of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Yes. And, and you've just done such incredible work. And you're coming to Sonoma County uh, next month for the annual Christmas concert at the Green Center at Sonoma State. Tell us what's in store. Well, let's say your lips to God's ears annual. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a hard venue to get in. Um, we tried from the from the moment it opened. We've been trying to get there, and last year was our first year at the Green Center, and so this will be our second annual. And we hope it's every year because it is so beautiful. Um, it's the most beautiful place we sing. Um, so this year, we you know we don't struggle to find um, appropriate uh, icons for the holidays, but um, you know we try to stay away to a certain degree from the Christian story of Christmas. And certainly there's Santa and all that, but this year we, we chose bells and there's a lot of repertoire out there about bells and San Francisco, there are bells everywhere on the trolleys and grace cathedral. I mean, they're just bells. And at the holidays, we tend to hang them out, bring them out. So we invited velocity bells, which is one of the professional bell choirs in San Francisco. And they'll be with us. There are, 12 players. They have a 30 foot long table. They're spectacular. Um, it's like your church bell choir, except these are professional bell players. And mm -hmm. so they are kind of featured in both the fun and crazy and, um, and some of the really beautiful, beautiful music that we do sing. We run the gamut. Um, if you've never seen the gay men's chorus at the holidays, you must. It's, um, outrageous. It's, colorful. It's a little bit irreverent. 
and um, and then some of the most beautiful music you've ever heard. There we have. 275 singers right now, and we will squeeze on the stage with those bells. And this is a wonderful benefit for Face to Face here in Sonoma County. You've been... and I believe it, I'm going to guess here, but I think it's somewhere around the 28th annual benefit for Face to Face. We've been there every single year for, I think it's 28, yeah. but don't quote me on that. Yeah. Well, and, and in some pr- pretty precarious times, I mean, thinking about the fires that we experienced, uh, this month, uh, it doesn't take too much to look back at the fires of 2017. And I think you had to perform at Santa Rosa high school because Luther Burbank had been closed down. That's correct. Luther Burbank, um, was closed because of damage from the fire. And we didn't know where we would sing. And the, the high school was gracious enough to open its doors. And of course we, it, it's a lovely auditorium. That many people don't fit on the stage. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, but and, it, and the Green Center a, is spectacular. There's no doubt about that. It's just amazing. And we're we're very excited. And ticket sales are already good uh, for the Green. Yep. Well, and there may not be a whole lot of seats left. Uh, so we urge you to get your tickets now. The concert is happening on December 15th. We'll have a link to the site to get tickets on our website at outbeatnews.com. You can click on show notes at the top of the page and come enjoy some great holiday music. Talk about where people can go to learn more about the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Yes, please. Um, Our website is um, www.sfgmc.org, S-F-G-M-C, San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus.org. And you'll find all kinds of things on the website. Well, Dr. Timothy Seelig, thank you so much for doing all the great work that you're doing, changing hearts and minds around the country and bringing us amazing music. Thank you so much. It's great to talk to you. And if you're just joining us, this is Outbeat News in Depth here on KRCB-FM Radio 91. I'm Greg Moralia. Himeros TV is the creation of Davey Wavy. At its basic level, it's a gay porn site. But Davey's intent includes a lot more. He's creating content that is more authentic and instructional, showing men how to connect at a more intimate level by example. Davey, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Well, it seems like we just talked yesterday, but I know it's been a while, and you're getting ready to celebrate the second anniversary of Himeros TV, right? Yeah, can you believe it? We're coming up on two years. Gosh, the time is moving quickly. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with Himeros TV, talk about the concept and the mission for the media that you're trying to produce. Yeah, you know, it's it's a little bit different than a traditional porn site. Uh, Himeros.tv... The mission is really to enhance gay and bisexual men's experience of sex and sexuality through pleasure and connection and sexual exploration. So it's creating really fun, juicy, erotic content that also evolves your experience of of sex and sexuality. It helps you take things to the next level. So we, we sometimes say it's like porn, but good for you. Or or what's the, the phrase I hear on the podcast? It's like porn, but better. (laughs) <laughs> it's like porn, but better. but better. Yeah, which is which is fun and pithy. But I also, I mean, I I I love porn, and I think there's a a place for it, and uh, I know there is a place for it in my life, and it's just kind of all about how how you use it, right? Right, but, right. And, yeah, and, we're kind of. You know, I was going to say, I think one of the things that really sets what you're doing apart is it is more instructional and, and intentionally instructional. I think you could argue, especially if you're brand new to having sex with men, maybe you're a young person, you're just learning that, that all 
levels of porn are instructional, at least at some level, but you're intentionally instructional in some respects, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I learned about gay sex by watching porn and, and my reference point was SeanCody.com, which is really just like, you know, two straight boys bumping their bodies together. Mm-hmm. And, um, what I've learned is that while there is some relationship between, um, you know, as you get older and your experience, your wisdom, your knowledge increases, um, there is some relationship between that, but there are also a lot of older people who haven't really, um, progressed beyond like what we're seeing in most mainstream porn. They haven't, um, had the opportunity to get connected with teachers or instructors or resources. I mean, the stuff that, that we show in Himeros is not stuff that is widely, you know, passed down or, or that we come across in, in our community. So it's great to have a platform to be able to do that. Yeah. And I, and I think one of the other things that strikes me that's different about it too, is that you really focus on authenticity it's not just a, a script that provides some sort of demonstration, but you really are trying to get at a more emotional, interpersonal level and, and to demonstrate the connection. Yeah, it's it, well, it's real. What we show is, is real. And, uh, you know, you had mentioned some of the videos feel a bit more instructional in, in nature, and, and that's true. We certainly, you know, might film a video that, that shows a really cool or fun prostate massage technique. Um and, uh, and there's a place for that on our site. But then we also do stuff that's more conceptual and, and uh, the focus in, in some of the videos is really just portraying what authentic sexual ecstasy between two men or three men or more can, mm-hmm. can look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's not just finding two models and you know, booking a hotel room and filming them there. It's really about creating an experience where these guys can really connect. We, we did a video a couple of weeks ago called Worship Me, where uh, one of the models, Chris Harder, looks into the eyes of, of the other model, Wesley Woods, and affirms him as a human being and as a man and as someone who's deserving of love and affection and touch and he goes on for like a minute a minute and a half and it's this really beautiful affirmation and it moves wesley to tears to receive you know to have someone uh affirm you in this way it's 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 a lot easier to look in the mirror and call yourself you know a piece of crap or whatever than it is to receive that kind of love um but it was this really authentic, beautiful moment that we captured. And that's, you know, not something that, that you're going to see in traditional, traditional porn content. For sure. And, and that wasn't faked. I mean, that really happened. I think I heard you, you talk about that on the podcast a little bit. It, it, that was organic. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was. And, and the reason that that happened is because, again, you know, we're not just flying two models in and booking a hotel room. When we film our content, we go out into usually a very remote location um, and we film it in kind of a retreat style setup where there'll be a, a workshop in the morning that um, helps connect the guys and, and um, connects them with the concepts and the videos that we're going to be filming throughout the day. And we all stay on site. All the filmmakers, everyone involved is queer. Um, we share our meals together as I'm saying, it sounds like I'm describing some sort of cult, you know, but, (laughs) (laughs) but it's really, I would say it's more like a tribe. 
Yeah. And we're really there with this common intention of creating these videos, which we recognize are powerful and the director regards as art. And, you know, the models are really excited about the opportunity. So it's a different, it's a different process. It's a slower process. It's more expensive. It's more intentional, but for me, it's so much more fun and fulfilling. And, and I think our audience is, is really enjoying it. Well, and it's unique to anything that I've ever seen. Uh, so what's the, what's the response been? Well, so we have, now that it's been two years, we've really kind of carved out our niche and, um, we have our, our, our membership base, which is, um, growing. And I think, you know, part of it is my YouTube channel. I can use that to reach new people, but I think it's also word of mouth as people, um, turn their friends on to it. And, and the response is, it goes either way. I think there's a lot of people, there's some people who are really happy with like the status quo, where they're at sexually, the porn that they're experiencing. Um, and for those people, it's probably not going to be super exciting for them to see what we're doing on Himrose. But for other people who recognize that there's more beyond what they're experiencing in porn, maybe people who aren't happy with the status quo, who want something more out of sex and sexuality, those are the people that really get excited about what we're doing. Yeah, and I think you approach it in a very healthy way, um, mentally, physically, all the way around. And, and again, I think that's one of the things that makes it unique. Talk about the demographics of your subscribers. Does it tend to be a particular age or region of the country? Well, this is this was this was pretty interesting. Uh, a few months ago, we did a survey, and my assumption, just because it's a it's a paid subscription site, right? You know, like it costs it costs money, and it, depending on what your membership commitment is, not not a whole lot, but it's still you know, it, it's I don't think that my assumption was always that younger folks weren't willing to pay for porn, and what we found was that a third of our audience is in their twenties and thirties, which was mm. shocking to me. Mm. Um, and it, and I think it's because they're not regarding it really as paying for porn. They're paying for the change that these videos help inspire in the sex that they're having. That you could be going to, you know, a sex coach or a therapist. And I hope, you know, a, a lot of people are doing that. And this isn't necessarily going to replace that. But it does give you some of those same tools and techniques and information and helps you ask questions and, and evolve. Um, so I was really excited to see that so many younger people are investing in themselves in this way. Um, and, and then of course it's kind of spread out between guys in their forties, fifties, sixties and seventies. Um, and it's people from all over the world, uh, primarily English speaking countries, just because that's the, obviously the language that we're speaking in the videos. Um, but I think there is something really mm -hmm. universal and ageless about, what we're filming. And, uh, we also, you know, go out of our way to not just include the porn stars that people know and love that are of course, like, you know, in their twenties and thirties, but also to feature guys of all ages and sizes and backgrounds. And so the idea is that people can really see a reflection of themselves when they go on the website. So if you're 70 and sure, you might get turned on by watching, 20 year olds have sex, but you also want to be able to see that that that's available to you at 70. And so we make sure we include models, um, of all ages. Yeah. I think that's another thing that again, makes what you're doing very unique. I mean, certainly there's niche companies that are doing porn with 
a particular age group, and that's their focus, and that's their sort of thing. But you incorporate it all, a, a wide range of folks. And that, that's cool. We do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because there's this assumption that, like, um, you'll hear this in, in porn companies that they'll say, well, we just film 20-year-old white guys because that's what our audience wants. And when we did our survey, we found that uh, nearly half, it was like 48% of our audience wanted men over the age of 50 in, in films. And my response to, to traditional porn companies is like, how can people want something that they don't see? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Exactly. Like it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? If you're just putting the same people and, and, you know, <laughs> over and over and over again. Uh, and it also conditions, I think the audience to, to only see attraction in that, in that, small subset of our community. Right. right. Um, oh, I totally, I totally agree with you. We build in a definition of what is attractive. And so that right. becomes the sort of the scope for some folks. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to step outside of that. And it, and it's empowering because the reality is like, we're all getting older and, and it's nice to know that that sexiness isn't something that like it's our birthright and it doesn't, it doesn't change as we get older. It doesn't, it's not something that gets denied in us. Right. Well, this has been a personal journey for you as well. I mean, in addition to the the subscription uh, channel for the videos, you also do a weekly podcast, which I think is really interesting and informative. Uh, And I've heard you really grow and talk about your own evolution um, as an individual as you've experienced all of this. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well... I mean, I think that's why I'm passionate about, about this is because like, I've got skin in the game. Like I'm, I'm, I'm learning and, and growing and evolving with the audience. And though we hire a lot of experts and educators and people that have a lot of answers, the reality is like, I don't, you know, I'm 36 and I started, I would say really started on this journey, maybe four years ago and starting to ask questions and, and deepening my experience of sex. Um, so my proposition to the audience has always been like, look, I don't have the answers. I'm curious, like, hold my hand. Let's walk through this door together. I'll make it a little bit less scary and we can step into the unknown. But, but that's why it's fun for me. Like every time we do a shoot, there's things that I'm learning and in a very real way, am applying to the sex that, that I'm having. I, I had sex the other weekend with this guy that was visiting and he was like so shocked by how fun and different and pleasurable and communicative and, and just what a different approach it was. And, and, you know, it's completely because of my, my, my work with, with himorose.tv that I was able to really create that experience. That's cool. Would you say that that yeah. was one of the most significant things you've learned or is there something else that stands out for you? Um, I think, I think what, uh, what I'm the most important thing that I'm, uh, learning, I think is really to, uh, see myself as, as worthy of, of love and affection and touch. And I know it sounds silly, but like as someone who grew up as a fat kid who was teased by their family and by kids at school, when I look in the mirror, like it doesn't matter how much muscle I have or whatever, like I will always just see that fat kid until I finally make peace with him. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've 
that's a struggle that um, this work has really helped me progress on. And, and, and you know, it's, it's um, I think that's what I am learning and continuing to, to learn that, that stands out the most. Mm-hmm. I heard one of the, the things you talked about, too, that you discovered or experienced or at least thought about is the influence that porn has. And you mentioned earlier, and I think most people would agree, it's a, it's a pretty big part of, of gay life. Well, it's part of all life. I mean, come on, it's a huge industry. And there's a reason yeah. for that. Um, but you decided you were going to step away from that uh, as a, a source of pleasure for yourself. Um, and you did that for a period of time. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So porn, uh, again, you know, it's a, it's a tool and it can be used in a very healthy way and and sometimes not. And I think I was a little, I was, I was abusing it and Mm. it was very easy. First of all, I mean, when you watch porn over and over again, it can condition you in certain ways, um, including to think that the, the point of having sex with someone is to, to ejaculate like that's how every porn ends and so like if you see that over and over and over again you think that's how every experience with another person (laughs) needs to end when you're you know in the bedroom and and ejaculations are great but that can it can be the end or it can be the beginning can be in the middle uh and it's not it's not the goal of of sex at least i mean it's not for me um and what we're seeing in porn you know are these penises that are artificially, uh, you know, <laughs> injected with this and that to, right. to, to keep it like rock hard. It's just unrealistic. Uh, so, it, so there's that element of it. And I also think that if you are used to using porn, uh, that when you're then in the bedroom with someone else and you don't have that porn in front of you, it's harder to connect with that person and really be present in the experience and, you find your mind kind of going back to the, to the porn. And, and so for me, I guess it's ironic given what I do. Um, it, it was nice for me to take a step back from, um, you know, from the porn hubs of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, and it, I think it is a good experiment, um, just to sort of see what kind of influence it has. And like anything else, it's all about moderation, right? Yeah, and, and, and how you use it. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you you tra- traveled to some remote locations for these different shoots, which, again, is, I think, a little bit of a unique aspect of what you're doing. Talk about some of the places that you've been to. Oh, my gosh. We've been to so many cool spots. Uh, we filmed in Hawaii on the Big Island. We filmed in Sweden, uh, just under the Arctic Circle. Um We've done a lot of projects out in the desert in California, out towards like Joshua Tree and Death Valley. Um, we are um, we did a project in Amsterdam. Our, our next shoot is in a castle in France. I mean, we found these really cool locations, and it, part of it is finding a a spot that's remote enough that we can really kind of create this this community and keep everyone contained in a drug free and alcohol free environment. Um, and then it's also places that I just enjoy going to. <laughs> so sure. like, you know, like who doesn't love going to France? So why don't we film there? <laughs> right. Yeah. And and so you mentioned that, that it's a way to keep the environment sort of contained, alcohol-free, drug-free, and to build this community amongst everybody involved in the project. How does that fit or necessitate going 
aside from your personal interest in going to France, how, how does going to Sweden, for example, then accomplish that as opposed to a remote part of Joshua Tree? Well, uh, well, first of all, we do like to have a diversity of landscapes, right? So if mm-hmm. everything's filmed in Joshua Tree, it starts to like, okay, it's another video from Joshua sure. Tree. Like we get it. It's nice to, to see a variety. Uh, but the reality is when we do a film shoot, I mean, we can have, I think our last project that we did, which was in upstate New York, we had a total of 14 people between models and crew and everyone gets their own bedroom. Um, and the reality is there aren't a lot of facilities in the world that can accommodate what we're trying to do a group Mm -hmm. of that size. And and that is willing to let us use the space. We're very transparent. You know, like the, the castle that we found in France, we let them know exactly what we're filming. We don't want to be looking over our shoulders. We want everyone, you know, on board with it. Um, there's not a lot of venues in the world that can accommodate that many people and are okay with the content that we're right. filming. So it really does limit you. Uh, and if you find a place that's gorgeous and fun and happens to be halfway around the world, well, <laughs> you find a way to make it work. Yeah. Well, you know, what strikes me too in hearing you describe all the facets of this is that you have a really high ethical standard for what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, and I think that it, that's got to translate into great care for everybody that's involved. Well, it's, it's important because we're asking people to really be authentic and vulnerable. And if people don't feel safe, if, for example, we're filming somewhere where we don't have permission and everyone's on edge, like it's really hard to feel safe and, and really let your guard down in an environment like that. Um, so I think to accomplish what we're trying to do, it's, it's necessary to, to do stuff like I mean, we have we have an aftercare program for our models that after they shoot with us, they get five um, sessions with a therapist and they can choose to use them or not, but it's available to them and it's free of charge for them. We cover the cost of it. Uh, And, you know, we do that because when you're asking people to be real and vulnerable, stuff comes up, Mm -hmm. stuff from your past baggage, from your personal history. And a shoot might be four or five days long. And then at the end of it, we're just kind of, putting everyone back into the world and you know like we want uh the processing of that to continue so um so um that's why we have the the aftercare program yeah that's really amazing now not all of your productions use professionals you've also done some videos with amateurs talk about that a bit yeah we haven't had porn stars working with non-porn but we've we've kind of done okay this is a shoot with porn stars or this is a shoot with just kind of everyday people right um and uh it's really i i love working with with porn stars but sometimes it's like you have to like decondition them they want to like open up towards camera and uh, like they can get into a headspace of performance rather than just being present with what's going on. Whereas if someone has never been on camera before or doesn't know about opening up to get like you, it's, it, it, um, sometimes it's easier to work with someone that doesn't have experience. Mm. Of course, then they can get really self-conscious about a camera being there and, and there's pros and cons to each, but the last shoot we did, which was, uh, in Easton mountain, New York, it was, uh, eight models who were not professional porn stars. 
and they helped us co-create the content over the course of five days. And they had so much fun being in the videos and, you know, on, on set, when someone, when a, a porn star scene is, is done, they generally like leave and go off and do something else. They go on their Instagram or whatever. But these guys were like, everyone was like, it was like, we're, we're all in this together. You know, if their part in the, in the, in the scene was done, they stuck around to support the other uh, models that, that were there. Uh, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Hmm. So one of the things that you're doing too is this podcast that I've mentioned, and you involve experts both in in that project as well as to help design the scenes that you're doing for the videos. Talk about some of the experts that you're working with. Yeah, uh, we we have a really great team of uh, sex experts that we work with, including Fendir Hart, who's a sex and intimacy coach and the co-host of my podcast. Uh, the last project we did was with Brad Amberhart, who is a tantric sex coach. Hmm. Uh, we also work with Jason Tantra uh, and Will Tantra, uh, both tantric practitioners as well. Um, we worked with a sexologist out here in Palm Springs named Dr. Jalen Ricks. Uh, and it's it's fun because everyone really brings a different flavor, a different approach. Some, like Finn is very, uh, he's more kind of grounded and academic in his approach. And then uh, Brad is much more spiritual. And, um, you know, I always tease him that he's kind of like an alien from another planet. Uh, and, he, <laughs> and like, it's kind of my job to take his incredible knowledge and wisdom and help translate it into something that's really accessible for, for our audience. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's fun to have all those different perspectives because it, it, it creates content that really feels like a cornucopia of wisdom and knowledge and everyone kind of sees sex differently. And it's nice to uh, be able to present all those different perspectives and, and let people kind of pick and choose what uh, resonates with them and what feels, what feels true for them and what really inspires them. Yeah. Well, it's, it's exposing people to different ideas and, and sources of, of, information and understanding, which is kind of cool. And you started doing some workshops um, that people can partake in, or at least planning those. Talk about what's been happening so far. Well, one of the big takeaways in in this project we did in, in Easton Mountain in September was that, God, like this, this retreat that we created um, was so special and nourishing and necessary to really be affirmed and, and um, to create that community and I really wanted to be able to offer that other than just the videos that people watch. I wanted to offer that in some larger capacity. So on Saturday, January 25th, we're going to have our first virtual retreat, which is going to be facilitated by Finn Deerhart. And it's a day long retreat um, and you participate from home. You can just log in through your, your computer or your phone or your iPad and you can follow along by yourself or with a partner or you could even invite some friends over and make it a a whole like, group experience. So people can buy tickets at himorous.tv forward slash events. And we're also doing an in-person retreat from October 13th through 18th, 2020. And that's going to be at Easton Mountain, just outside Albany, New York. So we're giving people about a year to kind of plan their time off and, and their flights. Uh, but it's going to be an incredible uh, experience. So give us a little bit of a hint about what people could expect uh, for either the virtual retreat or the in-person retreat. 
Yeah. Well, the virtual retreat is uh, the participants in it are going to be some of uh, everyone's favorite models from Hammerost.tv. It'll be Max Adonis, Adam Ramsey, a bunch of others. And they'll be able to witness their favorite uh, models uh experience the, the the workshops and the play shops and of course to participate at home uh, while it's going on and then the in-person retreat is for the braver folks who are really ready to kind of step into the they're not ready for just like dipping their toe in but they're going to jump into the pool um because it will be uh different play shops on like how to be multi-orgasmic um there will be exclusive TV movie screenings that night so you can see unreleased videos and um, have discussions and everything will be in a really supportive environment so both opportunities are really fun it kind of just depends where people are at on the spectrum wow sounds pretty intense yeah it's gonna be fun so as you look out now you've got the first two years under your belt and you look out into the, into the future i mean you're doing so much you, you mentioned you have a youtube channel you have the podcast you're producing videos now you're doing workshops What's this going to look like in two more years? Oh, God, I need to hire someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you, yeah. you do most of this work by yourself. I'm the only person that's on payroll. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do have um, folks that we that we work with, someone that edits the podcast, someone that, that you know, obviously directs and, and edits the Himmerous videos. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I'm still doing a lot of the work. Uh, and, uh, I think I'm probably, I'm probably at the, the edge of my capacity, but I'd really love to find someone that I can partner with on this. And, uh, and I think long-term, you know, we do one video a week right now in Himrose, and I think eventually we're going to get to a place where we can do two videos per week, but that's still, that might be another year, year and a half down the road. Mm-hmm. Do you see this expanding and growing even further or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we continue to get to get new members and, and reach new folks. I think eventually someone someday is probably going to want to make a straight version of this or a lesbian version of this, oh. maybe both. Uh, it's not going to be me. <laughs> but, <laughs> not your area of expertise, but, right? You know, I'm going to stay in my lane with that one. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm sure someone will be excited about it. And, you know, it's funny because Falcon reached out the other day about collaborating with me on a, on a video, um, on a project, and I explained some of our process, and they were kind of shocked at how different it is than theirs, but um, but they were still keen on, on, on working together. And, and my thought is if some of the stuff that we do can find its way into the mainstream studios, how awesome would that be if they start offering, you know, aftercare packages right. for their models or – um, if they start introducing more authenticity or uh, anything beyond the just like kind of cookie cutter or it, it almost feels like, a um, you know, it's like the Henry Ford Model T, like production line assembly of, of videos. God, every video looks exactly the same. Um, if, if some of what we're doing can can infiltrate into the mainstream porn world, that would be awesome. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, you're certainly setting a new standard. That's for sure. Where can, I hope so. Where can people go to follow you, um, all of the work that you're doing individually, and then uh, give us the website again for himros.tv. Yeah, so it's H-I-M-E-R-O-S dot TV, so like him and Eros. Himros is the Greek god of desire, so that was the, that was the oh, logic there. Okay. 
yeah, so check it out there. And then if you want to find me, just Google Davey Wavy YouTube and, and all my stuff will, will pop up. Yeah, because you've been at this for, for a lot more than, than doing the videos. You've had uh, entertaining and instructional and provocative videos on YouTube for many years now. Like 12 years, yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. My I goodness. know it. I know it. And so many more years <laughs> to go. Well, David, it's always we'll great. It's always fun to have you on the show and to get caught up. Uh, thanks for all the good work that you're doing out there, and we will look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that wraps up our hour. My thanks to Davey Wavy and Dr. Timothy Seelig for being with us tonight. We'll see you at the annual San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus concert on December 15th at the Green Center at Sonoma State. And if you haven't yet purchased your tickets, we'll have a link on our website at outbeatnews.com. Just click on show notes at the top of the page. Be sure to tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on Radio 91. In the meantime, have a great week, have a great Thanksgiving, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. Podcasts of our programs are available for on-demand play on our website at outbeatnews.com and on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all month long. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do. So I give it up to Support for Outbeat Radio on KRCBFM comes from listeners and from The Bohemian, announcing its annual Best of Sonoma and Napa Readers Poll. The Bohemian publishes the North Bay's longest-running Best of contest and owes it all to you, the reader. Information and voting online at bohemian.com, now through December 31st. We're going to walk it out and We are Radio 91, KRCBFM, like Winter, it's getting and hard to breathe. CQ, Santa Rosa. And I know you feel like it's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Afropop is next.